Welcome. Today's message, The Christian's Weaponry, is found in Ephesians 6, 14 through 18. We appreciate you joining with our fellowship at Calvary Chapel Valdosta this Sunday. And let's listen in together. Turn on over to the book of Ephesians. We will be reading in Ephesians chapter 6 this morning. Book of Ephesians, New Testament. If you made it to 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, you got to Galatians, and then Ephesians is right after that book. Book of Ephesians. Uh, as we had said before, that this is one of the uh, letters that were written by the Apostle Paul, that was written by the Apostle Paul while he was imprisoned at Rome, Acts chapter 28. And, uh, and so he pens a couple letters uh, to some churches that he, uh, that God used him in, that he had a major part of establishing and building up some of the believers. But again, we have been in this letter, this book, for I can't even count the weeks, maybe about 10, 12 weeks. We're coming to an end. We are rounding the bend. We're coming to the end. And, uh, but we have another important topic to talk about this morning, just as we did last week. And uh, we'll go a little bit deeper into it. So before we do that, let's stand together, if you can. We'll give honor to the Word of God by standing. And we're going to read verses 14 down to verse 18 this morning. And we'll pray and then see how the Holy Spirit will speak to our hearts. So Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14 to 18. It says, Stand therefore, just as we're standing, ironically, Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you may be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching unto it with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Thank you, Lord, for these words. And, um, Lord, we recognize that these are not uh, words that were penned and, and they came from the depths of man, but these are spirit-breathed words, Lord. These are words that, you're, that it says that are able to make us wise, words that are able to build us up, words that are able to correct us, words that are able to equip us. And so I pray this morning that you would help us to be able to tune in to your word and to listen to the Holy Spirit as he speaks to our hearts. Please give us, Lord, just what we need for today. <clears throat> I pray that you would help us to understand what we're reading. And Lord, that this would not just be an exercise of just futility, of nothing, Lord, a waste of time, but truly we will look into the law, the perfect law of liberty, and we will be changed as we look into it. And so speak to us, Lord, and, and move us to be doers of the word, not just hearers of the word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, last week, we spoke about and discussed the Christian's warfare as we picked up in verse 10 down to verse 13. We talked about the Christian's warfare, that the that this life, as we are entering into with Christ, is a fight. That this is not a playground. That this is not something that we just lounge and, and relax. It's not a vacation. But we are in a conflict as Christians. There is a battle for souls. There's a battle for souls taking place all around us. I love how, I love the Lord of the Rings movies. That really speaks to me a whole lot. There's so many allegories in those movies. And uh, one of them is right towards the end of the battle. It may have been even in the Hobbit series. It's all the same thing. And in the Hobbit series, they were 
the the character, main character, um, uh, Bilbo, he puts the ring on and he's going to help uh, some of his friends, some of his dwarf friends. And when he puts the ring on, there is a battle taking place in the in the spirit realm of where this ring resides. There's light versus darkness, things that you can't see. So you put that ring on and, and then you see it. And I think that's kind of how it is today. We walk around as Christians. We don't recognize that there are battles taking place all around us, spiritual battles for souls. And so the Christian's war, warfare is something that we need to keep close to our hearts. But this morning, we're going to be discussing the Christian's weaponry. Because last week, we went into the warfare. We, took, we looked at the makeup of the warfare and the mode that we should have for our warfare. But this week, we're going to look at the Christian's weaponry, what we have for our warfare, what we have to utilize for our warfare. And more particularly, in verses 14 and 15, we're going to look at the instruments, the instruments of preparation. You see, if we are Christians and we're in the middle of a conflict, we need to be prepared for this conflict, especially when it comes to our doorstep. And so we're going to look at the instruments of preparation. Then we're going to see in verses 16 and 17, instruments for protection. We need to be protected as Christians. I'm going to tell you that. You need to be protected. I need to be protected. And lastly, in verse 18, we'll also see the instrument called prayer. That is a, that's a vital instrument. It's a tool. It's a weapon. Now, I mentioned to you a couple weeks ago, I hope you went out and purchased this book. But it's called Pilgrim's Progress. It is an excellent book. It's written by a man named John Bunyan, a man who was a Christian back in the uh, 17th century. And uh, this man uh, penned an excellent work called The Pilgrim's Progress. It, it parallels so well with what we've been discussing in the book of Ephesians, speaking about the Christian's walk. It parallels it so well. So many uh, pitfalls, so many successes. Again, there's so much conflict. And in Pilgrim's Progress, the man named Christian, which the book is centered around, he comes to this palace called Beautiful. It's a beautiful palace. And it was situated in this place to relieve the pilgrims and to provide some measure of refreshment for them as they were on their way to the celestial city, which would be heaven for us and, and on our way in this world in the same way. But he was getting ready to leave the palace. He had been there a number of days, and now it was time for him to leave. But before he left, it says that they took him, the people that resided in this palace, they took him and they had him into the armory where they showed him all manner of furniture which their Lord had provided for pilgrims as sword, shield, helmet, breastplate, all prayer. I like that. And shoes that would not wear out. And there was here enough of this to harness out as many men for the service of their Lord. Now he was thinking to himself, Christian, it was time for him to go. And so he wanted to set forward and they were willing that he would leave as well. And so they harnessed him from head to foot, which was one of a proof, which was tested, things that were battle ready. They harnessed him, lest perhaps he should meet in the in a way with someone who would assault him. Now this is extremely important to look at that imagery. There was an armory of God for Christians. There's a place in which we can find weapons for our warfare. I mentioned to you the verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 that you know though we walk in the flesh, we don't war in the flesh. And in verse 4 of that same chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, says that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not things that we can see. They're not human things. That's why it doesn't make sense for somebody to say they're going to fight the devil. You, you don't fight the devil. You, you can't fight him naturally and physically. That's not how it works as a Christian. But the weapons of our warfare are mighty in God, as the scripture says, through the pulling down of strongholds. And so God gives us weapons, spiritual weapons, that we can utilize to prepare ourselves, to protect ourselves. 
and to do battle when we find ourselves in the midst of a spiritual conflict. The Christian's weaponry. And just like Christian couldn't leave that place unless he visited the, arm, the armory, gang, I'm telling you, don't leave this place today without recognizing how we need to visit the armory because we're going to need that. We will be assaulted spiritually in this world that we live. It's just going to happen. When you put yourself on the side of Christ, you put yourself in the middle of the battle. When you say that you were going to walk with the Lord, you put yourself in the battle. Now you've become a target. And the enemy of our souls, make no mistake about it, he is real. He's not like the cartoons say he has a pitchfork and he's red with the ears and he looks all cute like those little teddy bears you get at the amusement parks. Oh, it's this little devil that's great. No, no. He's a real foe. And his main desire is to rip you off, as we stated last week, to destroy you, to destroy whatever faith that you have. So we need to look at instruments of preparation, how the Christian can be prepared for spiritual warfare. And so let's look at verse 14 of Ephesians chapter 6, because we cut off last week right in the middle of a thought that the writer had penned down for us. And so we want to pick it back up in verse 14. And it says, stand therefore. So the word therefore is a transitional word, but it means to look back, to understand why is therefore. What's the purpose is there? He just got finished talking about taking on the whole armor of God in verse 13. And he says that having done all, what you need to do is to stand you have to stand. You need to withstand. You need to resist the evil one, the enemy. And so he says it again, stand therefore. I don't know if you noticed it, but three times he mentions that the Christian needs to stand. It tells us there in verse 11, to put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. In verse 13, he says that you should take the whole armor that you may be able to withstand or to stand and having done all to stand and here he says it again stand therefore stand do you see how important this word is to stand you know this word stand therefore it just reminds me of how important it is to have a measure of stability in your walk you know one of the first things that a Christian needs to learn is how to be stable. You know, when we are, you know, born in this world, I mean, that's one of the first acts that we do, is you have to learn how to walk. And so you always see the little kids, they, they're holding on stuff, they're wobbling, oh, man, don't let them hit their head. They need to learn a measure of stability. And then as they grow older, they need to have stable thinking, they need to, they need to be wise with their money, they need to have stability. Ephesians chapter 4, it tells us in verse 14, that one of the jobs of the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and pastors and teachers was to equip the saints, to perfect the saints for the work of the ministry so that they would not be unstable. As it says in Ephesians 4 verse 14, that they won't be like children anymore, tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine. That is a, to be unstable is the characteristic of immaturity. To be stable is a mark of maturity. And we need stability if we're going to be in Christian warfare. If we're in the midst of a conflict, there is stability that is needed in the Christian life. I like how this guy named Duffy Robbins, he wrote this book on youth ministry, but he said, stability is stay-ability. It's being able to be planted and to stay put. It's not moving around and jumping around. We have a hard time with that. Our culture tells us that you go and work a job, you don't need to be there longer than three years. You got to get up and go do something else. You got to keep moving. Because if you don't keep moving, you're going to die. And that's, that's not always true. We carry that into our Christianity, we carry that into our relationship with God, and we become very unstable. We're unstable in the mind, we're unstable in the desires, and there's no stability. No one can follow what you're doing, because you're always all over the place. But one of the key things in Christian warfare is that we have stability. That's why he says, stand, therefore, stand. 
Be immovable. Stay put. As you're moving all around, you make yourself even a greater target. We need to think about that. Do I have stability in my life? Am I always jumping around to the next thing? Am I a finisher? Am I just somebody to start something and just moves on? We need to be stable. And that's one of the most important aspects, especially of being prepared. You know, if you're going to be prepared, you need to be stable. I like how it tells us in uh, the book of James, chapter 1, it says that, let not the man that acts God for anything be unstable in any of his ways. But this man will receive nothing from God if we're unstable. We need stability. So the first thing that he mentions when he's talking about instruments that will make you prepare as a Christian for the warfare that you're in. First thing he mentions there is to stand, but then he says, have your loins girt about with truth. I like how the King James puts that. You know, sometimes we don't pay attention to words a whole lot, but words help create pictures for us and windows for us to see into uh, some, some amazing truth. And he says here, having your loins girt about with truth, your loins, that would be your waist, it's your body. And he says, having your loins girt about with truth. Some of your Bible says to put on the belt of truth. And so I want to put your mind state into what this writer may have been seeing. He's a prisoner of Rome, Acts chapter 28. And he was chained to a Roman guard. And so the, he's sitting there and he's writing this letter. And I almost imagine he's looking at the Roman guard. And he's like, wow, look at this guy belt on, he has the breastplate on, he has shoes, he has the helmet, he has a sword, he has a shield. Wow, how the Christian needs to have these things in the midst of their warfare, in the midst of their battle. And so he talks about one of the most important things to have if you're going to be prepared for the battle is to have this belt of truth. He said, let your loins be girt about with truth. Now the belt in ancient times was used to kind of wrap up your clothes. See, they wore long flowing robes. And so whenever it was time to do work, they didn't necessarily take off all their clothes, but they took their clothes and they tucked it into their belt so that there was no hindrance, so that they could move around. But here he puts a different spin on it. He says, let your loins be girt about, not with a belt, but he says, put on the belt of truth. We need to have truth that is surrounding us. As it says there, about with truth in verse 14, that means around. It needs to be around you. Truth needs to be covering you. It needs to be surrounding you. And how often do we surround ourselves with the truth of God? How often do we surround ourselves with God's word, his truth, what he says about us, what he says about situations? How well do we know that? Do we surround ourselves with worldliness? Do we surround ourselves with worldly counsel? Or do we surround ourselves with truth? An instrument for preparation is to have the belt of truth surrounding your life. Now this also goes into the mind somewhat. You know, because the belt of truth is, is going to wrap around you. It's going to be what you're thinking about. It's going to be what you're concentrating on. And so... This also helps in the whole stability thing, that our minds are being wrapped around God's truth is wrapped around us. How much do you spend time with God's word, God's truth, God's truth about you? How much do you know about God's truth about you? Not what the world tells us, not what the books tell us, and not, you know, somebody saying that you came from animals, you know, but the truth of God. How much do we have that around us? How much do we really concentrate on the truth of what God is saying to us? We know that the scripture tells us that the enemy is a liar. Because Satan was a liar from the beginning. He is the father of lies. We can't be people that are of lies and, and tales. We have to be people of truth. We have to know the truth. We have to be acquainted with the truth. And that has to hold us up, to keep us up so that we can walk within our warfare, so that we won't be hindered in warfare. There's always the Christian that doesn't have a good handle on the truth of God, on the truth of what God says about them, is the one that gets tripped up, that gets tied up in some bind, 
spiritually. Like, how did you get here? Well, this person told me this, and this is what I've believed, and this person. And so we don't have a good handle on, like, doctrine, on truth. That's why it's so important to, to choose a place, to be in a place to worship that is teaching sound doctrine. Sound doctrine, sound teaching. And that sound teaching always originates from the Word of God. That's where it starts. It starts with the Word of God. It doesn't start with a person's opinion. And it doesn't start with some idea, some tradition. It starts with the Word of God, the Bible, God's Word. That's where it originates, sound doctrine. And, you know, I'm delighted that, you know, in my Christianity, in my life as a Christian, when I first got saved, that I was saved in a church that taught sound doctrine. They gave the word line upon line, verse by verse. Here a little, there a little. One, one Sunday we study one chapter, the next week we're coming back to the verse we left off. We're going to have a, a good context. We're going to get a good uh, grounding in truth. We need the belt of truth. He says you need to have your loins girt about with truth. And notice he says next, and having on the breastplate of righteousness. Now this breastplate would cover the, the reins of the man, the inner parts, his heart. It would cover that part. And in the heart you find integrity, you find virtue. This is where we walk with the Lord. And so he says here to put on the breastplate. This is where the enemy wants to attack you most. is to throw a dart right at your heart. And if you're not a person that is committed to integrity, and if you're not committed to living a life that is worthy of, of the Lord with virtue, that's right living. Those are things that are, that are worthy to be spoken about, things that are pure, things that are clean, things that are noble. If you're not willing to live that way, you're completely exposed. And we have to have this breastplate that's covering that part of our hearts. And so that breastplate of righteousness, righteousness is speaking of his things, the things that are approving to God. And you put on the, blessed, the breastplate of righteousness, you're protecting your integrity, you're walking in that virtue. You're preparing yourself so that you're not assaulted and taken out. As, you know, gang, when we're, when we're one foot in and one foot out with the Lord, we become prey. And so the enemy could use, you know, your lack of integrity. You're not really walking with him anyway. You have no power. You're not really committed to Christ. And he shuts you down quickly and destroy you. That's why we got to have this breastplate of righteousness on. Now, one thing about the breastplate that is worthy to note is that it covers the front of the person. It never covered the back. It wasn't intended to be on the back. And that's why... It's not intended for us to turn and run and to run away from the fight. Easy, easy target. That's why he says stand with the breastplate on. You're not running away where you're easily exposed, but you're protected because you're withstanding the evil one. He tells them also in your feet, in verse 15, shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. He says have on the shoes. The shoes of the good news, the gospel. That means to walk in the spirit of the gospel, to walk in the spirit of the good news. Always to be ready to share, to be prepared to go when God calls you, when God moves you, when God sends you. And so he right here is speaking of the instruments of preparation. And so we need to have these instruments, these tools, always readily available. Always wrapping ourselves around the belt of truth. Always having on the breastplate of righteousness. Wanting to ensure that there's no fiery dart that can hit our hearts, as we're going to read in the next verse. And having the shoes always ready to be sent, ready to be used, ready to be moved by the Lord. The Roman soldier would have these shoes that would have these studs in them. And so it would give him excellent stability in the midst of battle. He wouldn't slip. He wouldn't fall. But our shoes are not meant to stomp out the enemy, you know. And, and this is a part of having good doctrine, sound doctrine. 
So we're not putting on shoes so that we can go to battle, we can kick the devil and we can stomp on the devil. That's, that's not biblical. But the shoes are meant for the gospel of peace. The shoes are meant for the good news, for you to be used, for you to be moved by the Lord. It goes well with Romans chapter 10, verse 15. In Romans chapter 10, verse 15, it tells us, And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring good tidings of good things. How beautiful are the feet of those that bring the gospel. That's what the shoes are. The shoes that should be on the Christian soldier. It's not, it's not for battle, not to, to hurt something, but it's to walk in the good news. The good news of Jesus Christ. So he says to have on the breastplate, have on these shoes, be prepared for the warfare, for the battle. There's nothing worse than just being unprepared, not being ready for something, missing out on something because you're not ready. Just as it tells us in the book of Matthew about the ten virgins, it says that five of them were wise and five of them were foolish. The wise ones brought extra oil to meet the bridegroom. The foolish ones didn't. They were unprepared. And when the bridegroom came at, at some time in the middle of the night, the foolish bridesmaids, bridesmaids rose up and they asked the wise ones, can you give us some of your oil? So we don't have any for you. I mean, we just brought enough for us. And they missed out because they were unprepared. So it doesn't make sense for us to be unprepared. We have everything that is needed here. We must be prepared. We have to have the truth. We have to have this breastplate of righteousness. We need to be walking in, in God's uh, word and what he tells us is right for our lives. We need to have those shoes on, always ready to share, always ready to be used by the Lord. Now notice what he says in verse 16. These are instruments right here for protection. We need protection as Christians. Here's why. In verse 16, it says, above all. Or that would be a good way to translate, in addition to this. He says, above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you should be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, or wicked one, would be a good translation there. So he says, above all, taking the shield of faith. So this is not just a buckler that we're talking about, some handheld shield that goes over the arm. This is the full body oblong shield that the Roman soldier wore to cover his entire body in the midst of the battle so that no dart and arrow can touch any piece of his body. He says, take the shield of faith. That word take there, taking the shield of faith, means using the shield of faith. Now, why do we need this? Faith is the thing that protects us. Faith is the thing that protects us from the fiery darts of the evil one, from his attacks, from his assaults. It takes faith, but it takes strong faith to protect us. So first and foremost, before we dive into this, this type of faith that will protect you, I want you to see, number one, the fiery darts of the wicked one, or, or the wicked, as it says here in the King James, but the, the, the enemy, the evil one. It says that the shield of faith will quench, it will suppress all of his fiery darts. What are the fiery darts that Satan, that the enemy of our souls shoots our way. What are the fiery darts? Gang, I believe we're in the midst of a, a very intense battle. And there are arrows flying past us all day long. We don't see it. But when you hear of a person committing suicide, when you hear of a person murdering someone, when you hear of a person saying they don't know why they did what they did, when you hear of someone that is not in their right mind, you, you have to understand that these fiery darts are all around. The fiery darts of the enemy can be characterized by, you know, how he works with our feelings and our fear and how he brings fibs and fights towards us. This is how Satan works. He works in your mind and he shoots a dart at you and he makes, your, makes you start feeling, I don't feel the best. Or I don't, I don't feel like, you know, God loves me. Or I don't feel like this, you know, he's changing up your emotions making you feel that you're, that you're abandoned. He works all the time in people like that. And then we'll, we'll try to, you know, medically call it, you know, some, something. But this is, what, this is spiritual warfare at its best. 
He works in the feelings. He wants to disrupt you and cause you to be indifferent towards the Lord. He also works a lot of times with those lies and fears. And he'll play on our minds and shoot darts and, and he'll send some fear in your mind that, you know, you're going to drown, you know, in this situation or that situation. and You're not going to get out of this. And this is all hopeless. And those are darts of the enemy. And he lies to you. And he tells you that you're never going to be, or this is never going to be, and this is not going to happen this way. And this person doesn't, and this person is thinking this way about you. And these are lies. These are darts that the enemy shoots towards us. And he, he does this very, very often. And especially if he knows that God can use you. And he's going to attack you even more. You become a very grave threat. And so he's going to shoot as many arrows as he can to disrupt you. And even assault you in some ways. Cause you to be out mentally. Make no doubt about it, he's firing these darts at us. Fiery darts. And he wants to shake us up. In the book of Job, chapter 1, we see a little bit of his action here. Job chapter 1, Satan is coming with a measure of subtlety. Job doesn't even know that Satan is against him. Job is just walking with the Lord. He's living a life as a believer. Satan is up in heaven accusing Job. He'll curse you to your face, God. He doesn't care who you are. It's just because you're blessing him. That's why he's acting that way. But I bet you if you take your hand off of him, and you don't bless him anymore, I bet, you, I bet you he'll turn away. And God says, you don't know my servant, Job. You don't know how he is. I know him. You don't know him. And so Satan requests that he can afflict him, fire a few darts at him. And that's exactly what he did. In Job chapter 1, verse 13, it says, And there was a day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their elder brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job and said the oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them and the Sabians fell upon them and took them away. Yes, they have killed the servants with the edge of the sword and I only am the one that has escaped to tell you. And while he was speaking, there came also another and said the fire of God is fallen from heaven. You see, how they try to say is the fire of God make them think that God destroyed up his cattle and stuff. That's, how, that's what Satan does. He'll come in and he, he'll make you think that God is punishing you for something. You know, God is just not for me and God is not pleased with me right now. And we have to remember it as the Bible says that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's not like a man where he just changes up. Where one day he's this way and then tomorrow when you wake up, he's like, oh, I don't know if I like you today. That's not the Lord. That's how Satan does. He tries to shape your mind and trick you and make you think that God is not for you anymore. God is consistent. God is the same. He is slow to wrath. So even if you are in disobedience, God is still patient with you. That doesn't mean he's pleased with what you're doing, but he's patient with you. But the enemy will cause us to think that this is God. And so they ran and said, the fire of God has fallen down from heaven, and then he's burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. I'm in Job chapter 1, verse 16. And he says, I am only escaped to, uh, alone to tell you. And while he was yet speaking, there came also another. He was firing darts at, at Job. And they said, the Chaldeans made out with three bands and fell upon the camels and carried them away, yes, and killed the servants with the edge of the sword. And I only am escaped alone to tell you. Another dart. Man, he's just taking out his, his sheep, his livelihood, taking out his children, just taking everything. Then it says, while he was still speaking, there came also another. And Job 1.18, he says, Your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in the eldest brother's house. And behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young men. And they are dead. And I only am escaped alone to tell you. This is, this is the darts of Satan. He just shoots them, and he disrupts our lives, and he brings some sickness, or he brings some, you know, 
prognosis or he brings something in our way to disrupt our thinking, to upset us. And he just fires it constantly. And the Christian that is not aware of spiritual warfare falls into a measure of depression. And then they start saying to themselves, well, maybe, maybe I should just go be with the Lord now. Maybe I don't need to live here on this earth anymore. This is just, this is just turmoil after turmoil after turmoil after turmoil. And that's what he wants. He wants you to destroy yourself. He wants you to be quenched, put away ineffective. He wants you to be unusable. And so he brings these darts our way, fires them. But notice in Job chapter 1, it tells us in verse 20 that Job arose and tore his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and he worshipped. He said, Naked I came out of my mother's womb and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all of this, Job did not sin nor charge God foolishly. Job knew that the Lord was in control. He had a close enough relationship to know that God was in control. And Satan still wanted to go further. He shot more arrows. And this time he touched Job in his body and caused boils to come all over his skin and put him in extreme pain. But in all of that, it tells us, that Job still did not charge God foolishly with his lips. And when his friends came and they tried to diagnose what was going on with him, and they're like, well, you obviously had to sin. Something, you did something wrong for this to happen in your life. Job said, I walk with the Lord blamelessly. You see, he went back to, just as we were talking about, the armor, the instruments that protect us, that, that prepare us. He went back to that breastplate. I, I, don't, I haven't walked in those types of ways. The enemy is firing those darts. Go back to Ephesians chapter 6. He's firing those darts constantly. They're fiery darts. Intense things. And if he can keep up the barrage upon you, he can cause you to quit. He can cause you to run away. He can get you to become unstable in all of your ways. That is his desire. And so we got to look around in this world today and, you know, when we're engaging people and realize that there is a spiritual component first to some situation that somebody is dealing with. It's not just a physical and natural component or an element. It is a spiritual component. And we must be wise Christians to say, I'm not going to just jump into any situation. I need to be full and clad with the whole armor of God. So he says here in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 16, that we should take the shield of faith, because it's, it's faith that will protect us from those fiery darts. It's faith. Now what he's talking about here is not, you know, just, you know, faith that you, you know, in some fancy, you're going to think about something, and this faith is going to carry you. This is, this is a faith. This is a belief, this is a trust, this is a walk with God. And this is the faith that's going to protect you. And you know what? If your faith is going to protect you as a shield, it has to be a strong shield. It can't be weak faith. It can't be shallow faith. It can't be immature faith. Three things about our faith. Our faith, number one, needs to grow. It needs to grow. We, we can't have faith, you know, if we're going to, protect ourselves from the fiery darts of the enemy, we cannot have a weak faith, an immature faith. It needs to grow. How does faith grow? The Bible tells us the way it grows. It says it grows through trials, James chapter 1, that the testing or the trial of your faith produces endurance. Faith needs to grow. When we first come to Jesus Christ and we commit our lives to him to become his servants, and to become his children, we come into the faith. But we can't just stop there. There's so many Christians just stop there. Yeah, I came in, I, I believe that the Lord died for my sins, I'm, I'm in. And that's it. It doesn't stop there. It needs to continue. Your faith needs to grow. 
It needs to grow. You have to walk with the Lord every single day. And when difficulties come, that's an opportunity for your faith to grow if you respond the right way. Here's another thing. Our faith needs to be authentic. You need to have authentic faith. You don't need to have this, this faith that is in material things. You don't need to have this faith that is in traditional things. And you don't need to have this faith that is in the things of man. It has to be the faith of God. It needs to be authentic faith. Lastly, our faith needs to be exercised. It has to be exercised. You've got to exercise your faith. You've got to step out in faith at different times. You've got to trust the Lord. And that is a hard thing for us Christians. You know, we will start to grow in our faith. Oh, great. And then it will be sound faith. We're in a Bible-believing church, and we're growing. And, man, you know, this is great. But now your faith also needs to be exercised. You have to trust the Lord. Gang, that was something that I realized for my life when I was back in Maryland. As I was serving in the church there, and, you know, growing and, hey, I had opportunities to teach Bible studies and stand in for the pastor on Sundays. And all that was good and everything. But my faith still needed to grow some more. I needed to exercise my faith. And so I knew that God was calling us to move and step out in faith and belief and trust in what his word says and what he's been showing us. And there's so many of us that stand on the edge of that and what God wants us to do, and we won't do it. We'll hold back because we're scared. Your faith needs to be exercised as well. If your faith is going to be strong and if it's going to be able to withstand the fiery darts of the evil one, it needs to be authentic, it needs to grow, it needs to be exercised. And that is critical for us as Christians. Notice what else he says, that the instruments that are for our protection. Faith is a protection. So that as much as we grow in the Lord, man, it protects us. And then he goes on to say in verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation. Just one little statement. And we know that every soldier has a helmet to protect his head, to protect his mind. But this has more to do with the hope. This helmet right here, it helps us to have a measure of hope. It protects us against hopelessness. This is where a lot of Christians fall in. They don't have the helmet of salvation on the hope of their salvation, as it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 8. They don't have the hope of their salvation, so they're shaken quite often. And they often feel like maybe God is, you know, angry with them, and God has, you know, gave up on them. And Satan is just firing those, dart, those darts all the time, hitting their head. They don't have this helmet, this hope, this blessed assurance. There are so many people that are walking around thinking that they can lose their salvation. That's because they've been taught that. And they've been taught that, you know, when you become a Christian, if you don't do these things, then you're not saved. God doesn't know you. And that is a workspace Christianity. If I got to do something to earn something from God, that's workspace. That's not faith-based. That's not belief and trust that He does everything for us. And so we have to remember that, to have this helmet of salvation, the hope to protect us against hopelessness. That we don't slip into a depression. Can Christians become depressed? Absolutely. Are Christians oppressed? For sure. Does God want Christians to be depressed? No way. We protect ourselves from the depression by remembering what God is doing for us, what God has done for us, what God will do for us. Not what we have to do. It's what He is doing. So we need the helmet of salvation on and, he says, the sword of the Spirit. We need the sword of the Spirit. This is a sword for protection. Look, we're in Christian warfare. We're not wielding this sword and just, I'm about to go to battle today. I'm going to meet this guy's house, man. I'm going to take the word of God. I'm going to cut him up. That's not how it works. We don't use the word to tear down and destroy people. That happens today. 
People use the word and they're just cutting people left and right. That's, that's not the intent here. This is for protection. The sword of the Spirit. Now listen, our proficiency needs to increase with the sword of the Spirit. As the Bible says here, it is the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit. We need to increase in proficiency. Now what is the best way for a person to increase in proficiency in a certain thing? What is the best way to do that? Practice. The more we practice, the more we become proficient. So this is the more time that needs to be spent with God's Word so that we can become proficient in knowing how to use God's Word when we're in the midst of a spiritual battle. When we are in the midst of that thought that is trying to consume you and destroy you, we need to be able to know how to go to God's Word and find the right verses, the verses that will protect us, the, word, the verses that will keep us, the verses that will encourage us and remind us that that's not what God is thinking about. This is what the Word says. Remember, our Lord Jesus showed his proficiency with the Word of God. I mean, he is the living Word. But in Matthew chapter 4, this Satan came against him, and he told him so many lies, and every single time he said, throw yourself down. You know, the Word says that this will happen. He says, it is written. It is written. It is written. He had proficiency with the Word of God. He knew how to use God's Word in a time of spiritual warfare. Christian, do you know how to use God's Word in a time of spiritual warfare? There's so many of us that won't consult the Word. We'll go to the Internet. We'll look up whatever situation is going on in our life. We'll go to people. I'm going to call this person right here because this is really upsetting me. I don't know what to do. I'm in a bind. They, they know God's Word, but you don't know God's Word. You have to be proficient with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You need to practice. You have to spend time with the Word. So when you come into some sort of spiritual conflict in your life, you'll be able to meet that spiritual conflict with the right protection, the right weapon. Proficiency with the Word of God. The more you do it, when you're in the midst of doing it, it becomes inherent. You won't have to try to dredge up anything. You'll you know exactly what you need to do. That's how it works with anything else in our world. That's how it works also with, with Jesus Christ. If you want to be proficient in basketball, you got to practice. you got to spend time with the rubber. you got to bounce that ball. you got to shoot that ball. you got to be prepared with it. And so when the game time comes, it's just inherent. It comes right out. You just know what to do. We got to do that as Christians. We got to spend time with the Word of God. This is a vital piece of the Christian's weaponry. And this is a piece of protection here the helmet and the sword and the shield. We need those things. We have to work on those things that, that shield of faith. We have to keep that helmet always close to us. We have to become proficient with the sword, which is the word of God. Well, notice in verse 18, he says, praying always with all prayer. Verse 18 represents the instrument called prayer. Now, this is a weapon that we have in our arsenal that can do some real damage to the evil one, the enemy. Prayer. You see, prayer is the force that moves God's hand into action. It's not, it's not us that's doing anything, it's God. And so we seek the Lord, and God moves on our behalf. Prayer is the force that moves his hand into action. I love how Corrie Ten Boom, she said, Pray as though everything depended on you, work as though everything depended on God. She says, Before you could do, you can do. Nothing before you have prayed. You can do more after you have prayed. It is prayer that moves God into action. So if, you, if you're engaging in spiritual battle, if you hear about some situation in someone's life, or you're going to be involved, we're praying for that. Because as I said, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God to pull them down of strongholds. It's prayer that pulls those things down. 
You could look at it as prayer sends those missiles over into the enemy's camp. I remember reading a book on prayer, and the guy was really encouraging in prayer. He said, so often we'll pray, and God is doing a great work. God is moving. God is doing a great work, and we, we don't see any results, so we stop praying. And it is right at that last moment. It was that last missile that needs to go. And we just said, forget it. Nothing is happening. And we leave off from praying. And prayerlessness is one of the most common things in Christianity. We don't pray. It's not something that we engage in. We're, we're not praying for other people. We're not praying for ourselves. We're not praying for things that God wants us to pray for. Prayer is the thing that is often missed in the Christian life. Prayer is just a communication with God. It's spending time with God. It's, it's talking to God. It's listening. It's a dialogue. Listening to God's voice. Going to the Word of God. Listening to what He's going to say to you. The prayer meeting is one of the least attended meetings in, in the Christian circle. The prayer meeting. Nobody comes to the prayer meeting. When we were back at our last church, we would have a prayer meeting once a month. A corporate prayer meeting. We have it at the church office and we say, you know, come on up for the prayer meeting. We're going to pray about so many things, so many opportunities. You know, and out of a church that may have been about 150 to 200 people, only about five, six people showed up there. Every prayer meeting. Only five or six. You know, it was like, well, I don't really have time to pray. I got other things to do. Can't really be there. And it was oftentimes it was missed. But a praying church is a dangerous church. Because it's a church that depends on God. It's a church that believes God can do something about this. And you show up to the prayer meeting, you say, God can do something about this. I believe that. Let's seek the Lord. Why is it missed so oftentimes? Why is it treated as something that's less? It's because we don't recognize it as being a vital instrument. Just like Christian, as I read to you in the Pilgrim's Progress, he went into the Christian armory, and they said, all prayer was a weapon. you got to have that one, too. All prayer. You're going to need that. We need to pray. We need to be people that are committed to pray. I like how Jim Cimbala said, you could tell how popular a church is by how many people come to the Sunday service. He said, you could tell how popular the pastor is by how many people come to the evening service. He said, you can tell how popular the Lord Jesus is by how many people attend the prayer meeting. That is a critical thing, is to be believers that are praying. We're not going to move into, take any ground of the Lord without prayer. It just, it's not going to work. And so we have to have this in our minds that man, we, we pray about it. We got a situation, let's pray. I read to you last week, Acts chapter 4, when they were threatened, told them not to speak anymore in Jesus' name. They went back to the company of the believers and they prayed. They prayed for boldness. They prayed that the Lord would still use them. And he did. The, the early church, in the first century, they were committed to prayer. And you know, the devotion for every disciple is to have those two things, to Sword of the Spirit and prayer. The Word and prayer. In Acts chapter 6, there was a situation that occurred with some of the believers. It was causing a disruption. Some people were disgruntled. How did the apostles handle it? Well, they asked them to choose out, you know, some men that are full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom whom they can appoint over the business, the situation, and fix it. But they said, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the Word. Those are two important things for Christians is prayer and the Word. Prayer and the Word. We don't do it enough, but we need that. We need to be praying. He says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. And watching, being alert with all perseverance. That's persistence and supplication for all saints. Notice he says all three times. He says all prayer, all perseverance, all the saints. So 
encompassing. But we have to be people that are praying. I remember one time I went to this church and um, it was down in Florida. I can't even remember the, uh, the name of it, but I, I, was, I was on a business trip and I, I wanted to go to this church because this pastor was a real blessing. I had saw him at a pastor's conference. I mean, the way he spoke, he really blessed my heart. And uh, so I wanted to go to their midweek service. And so I showed up at this service and um, I went and sat in there and said hi to a couple people. And man, I was amazed. Because when I sat down, they, this was their prayer meeting night. And they came in there, and man, they were like machines, man. It, just, it was like machinery. He, the pastor sat there, he said, we have some prayer requests. We're trying to op- open a radio station somewhere on the continent of Africa. I can't remember what country. He said, we're going through some spiritual warfare right now. This license can't go through because this continues to happen. Let's pray. Man, the people was just left and right, man, they were praying. They just came in the place and they sat down and man, they were just machines. There had to be at least maybe 50, 60 people there. They were praying. Even some people had a word from the Lord. They said, Pastor, I think maybe the Lord is speaking to my heart. This verse is coming to mind and they're sharing that. You know, let's pray about it. And they went into clockwork. He gave Request after request, and they prayed. Then, then he said, let's do a worship song, and then they broke off. And they had tables in the back. They had a long paper with just a list of people in needs. I went back there to sit. I tried to make small talk. Hey, how's it going? You know, from, they were about the business of prayer. I said, oh, let's just pray first. And they just went down. I mean, it was like clockwork. And everybody went back to have their seats, and it was over. In about 30, 40 minutes, but man, they went in there with some real work and prayer. Such a blessing to me. I left the, out of there, I was like, man, I thought it was going to be a little bit different, but man, that's what I needed. These guys were about prayer, the business of prayer. Such a blessing to see that. Now listen, in our prayer, in order for our prayer to be effective, especially in spiritual warfare, especially when we're in a battle, in a conflict, there needs to be three aspects that are taking place with our prayer. We find that here in verse 18. Number one, our prayer needs to be persistent. We have to be persistent in our prayers. You know, we can't be, you know, people that are just, you know, we, we pray just, and that's what I often do. You know, we, I'll pray over something that might be a good month, and then I'll just forget about it altogether. You know, just like, and somebody remind me and say, hey, weren't we praying about like, Oh, yeah. What was I thinking about? Prayer must be persistent. Also, our prayer needs to be perpetual. I like how he says praying always. Praying always in verse 18. It has to be perpetual, something that we're constantly doing. We're not people that are just prayerless, but it's constant. This is a thing that we always... I, this one brother used to always bless me because I would come to him with my issues. I'd say, man, can I talk to you real quick? He's like, yeah, yeah, let's step aside real quick. I'd say, you know, this is going on in my life, man. You know, this is what Kenesha is doing. My wife is doing this. <laughs> I'm just joking. But I, I just, I said, you know, this is what's happening with me. You know, this is what's going on in my life. And he'll listen to me. Great listener. Just like, hmm, hmm. He might even ask another question. So why, so why is this this way? Tell him some more, and I'm just pouring it out. And I'm thinking he's getting ready to give me, like, a, a great nugget of truth. And I'm like, I finished. And I said, what, what do you think, man? And he just said, let's pray, chief. That's what he calls Let's pray. He didn't say, like, man, you know, you probably need to. That's probably what I would do. I'm like, turn here to this verse real quick. You know, He's like, let's pray. I'm like, so we're just going to pray? <laughs> that's how I feel like we're just going to pray about it I was hoping to get something from so let's pray every time never fail every time and I realized that it, and it's not that he didn't have anything to say but he knew who could do something about those things we got to get into that type of habit we need to be perpetual in our prayers and I said we needed to be persistent that perseverance that means to be persistence all perseverance persistent in our prayers and we also need to be Petitionary in our prayers. We need to give 
petitions. We need to offer them up to God. That's how he says there in verse 18, in supplication in the spirit. I said those out of order, but it was perpetual petitions and persistence. But we, we have to bring things to God. God so oftentimes wants us to ask for certain things. Because he tells us in the word, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. James chapter 4 says you don't have because you don't ask. God wants us to ask. He wants us to come. Now, sometimes he won't give us what we ask for, as he says in James 4, because we just had this desire to fill it up on ourselves. But God wants us to ask. You see that person that is depressed? You see that person that really needs the Lord? Ask the Lord for them. Ask the Lord to move in their lives. You see this mountain that's standing before you? You don't know how you're going to get past it. Ask God. Seek his face. Bring your petition to the Lord. So often we won't even bring it to God. I mean, he knows everything already, but he wants us to bring it to him. This is a, this is a weapon, all prayer. This is a weapon that we can use in this Christian conflict. It's prayer, seeking the Lord, doing it together as believers, looking for the prayer meeting. When I first got here, as we get ready to close, I went to this uh, this uh, pastor's retreat. It was up in Pennsylvania. It was so cold and snowy. And we met in this castle for about three days. And for three days, we just fellowship. We ate. We fellowship. We ate. We fellowship. We ate. We ate a lot. Man. Let me just say that. <laughs> We ate a lot. And they had, it didn't help. They had couches in there. So we just in there. Sometimes guys are napping and stuff. But we went, we went over the word a lot as well just to kind of refresh ourselves, recharge ourselves. And I remember towards one of the last days, I was talking to a guy about the work here and we stepped out in faith and we were here in Valdosta. And he said to me, he said, um, your story sounds so similar to what happened with me. And he says, here's one thing I want to share with you. He says, have your prayer meeting. Make sure you're praying. And he says, when, when you have your prayer meeting, mark those who come to your prayer meeting because those are your core people. Those are going to be the people that are going to be in the trenches with you. They come to the prayer meeting, man, you're there, man. You're there. They don't show to the prayer meeting. And, I mean, there's still more work to be done, but trust the Lord. And those are the critical things. I took that away just realizing how important it was to pray. Because this work, when we go out, when we leave out from the fold, from a church to do a work for God, we go out into the enemy's territory. When we came here, as God brought us all here and we converged on this place, Valdosta, there's a work that God wants to do in Valdosta, Georgia. There's a work that needs to be done here. There were already churches here, but... You know, God still calls certain people to do different types of things. Not everybody can do everything. And when you're coming into a place to want to do a spiritual work, man, there's going to be major spiritual warfare. We've experienced some of that since we've been here as well. But I've been reminded this past week, just going through this text, how important it is to remember, to be cognizant of spiritual warfare. That when we have prayed about things and we're kind of sure that God wants to use us in certain areas, in certain places, in certain ways, and it doesn't turn out that way, to not be despondent because it didn't turn out, but to, 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 to be wise and alert and say, you know what, there could be some spiritual opposition here. I need to be spiritually discerned. I need to go to the Lord and pray for this, this situation that might be happening that I can't even see. And so I was reminded of myself personally to not be discouraged with some of the things that I thought were closed doors. They may not necessarily, I want to tell you, some things may not necessarily be a closed door. It could be that the enemy is trying to stop up the wells just like he did with Isaac in the book of Genesis. The Philistines came and they just kept stopping up the wells that his father had did. And sometimes the enemy would do that. He wants to disrupt and he'll try to shut this down, shut that down. And if we're not discerning, we'll just get discouraged and eventually give up. But God says to me, be alert, Deshaun, is what he said to me. Be alert. 
pray about these things. There's more spiritual component to it than you really know. So the Christian's weaponry is extremely essential in the Christian's warfare. And we talked about instruments for preparation, and we talked about instruments for protection, and lastly, the instrument called prayer. We need all of these things to protect us in our warfare. This is the very last thing that the writer is writing to these people. When we pick up next week, we're going to finish off there in verse 19 all the way through the rest of the chapter. And he's going to just close out his letter. He's going to ask them to pray for him, and he's going to close it out. All that we have discovered about walking with the Lord and lastly, the battle of the walk. We have to you know, really approach this with a, with a sober mind. Today's message focused on how the believer can be spiritually equipped. Pastor Deshaun Van Cleve detailed the instruments of preparation, the instruments of protection, and the instrument called prayer. Keep up to date with us on Twitter at CC underscore Valdosta or reach us by phone at 301-395-3382. You can also learn more about Calvary Chapel Valdosta by visiting our website, ccvaldosta.weebly.com, where you can listen to previous sermons and sermon series. And now we'll close in prayer. Let's say a word of prayer this morning. And Father, we just thank you for the word of God. Thank you for Ephesians chapter 6 and weaponry that you show us that is available to us. And I pray for each and every person here, Lord, that they would be a person that is harnessed with your armor. We need, Lord, to be covered, the breastplate, Lord. We need to have the shoes, Lord. We need the, the belt of truth to gird up our loins. Father, our faith needs to grow. Lord, we need the helmet constantly protecting our mind, keeping us hopeful. Lord, we need to become more proficient with the, the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit. And, Lord, this prayer thing, Lord, we want to be natural with it, Lord. We want it to be something that we regularly do. So I pray that you would help us, Lord, and that we would be thoroughly equipped for the battle. We would not become prey, Lord, but we would be strong in you. Now unto him, Lord, who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above what we can ask or think. I pray that you would keep us, Lord, in your love. In Jesus' name, amen.